Stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Hey, happy Thursday, everyone. Tyson Alger here with the It Never Rains podcast, joined by Aaron Fentress. It is a Thursday morning day after National Signing Day, where the Ducks added one more piece to their 2020 class. Not a not an incredibly exciting signing day for Oregon standards, but that's mainly because they wrapped up the class uh, for the most part in December. Aaron, how are you doing this Thursday morning, man? I'm doing all right. Just kind of chilling, you know, getting ready for the day and then Jamming with you here on this fabulous "It Never Rains" episode, and it's, <laughs> it's been did I there, there was a, a news report that this was like the rainiest freaking January that we've had here in Portland in the last I think three or four years. So uh, a, a very aptly or I guess uh, terribly named podcast right now, but we got a nice little podcast coming up today because we're we're going to talk a little bit about signing day. Uh, we got introduced to new Oregon offensive coordinator, coordinator Joe Moorhead yesterday as well. And then uh, Dylan Brooks spoke out, and then Dylan Brooks got paid. So uh, uh, just a, a fun little podcast coming up here. Let's 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 start with signing day, which uh, didn't have like you know it, it seems uh, uh, this is Mario Cristobal's third signing day, and it seems like every time there's been like some little firework or something that's come up during the press conference, like even in December, like right after they had just signed like Justin Flo, a five star, uh, Noah Sewell, another five star. Uh, <laughs> Like right towards the tail end of his uh, Chris Ball's press conference, he gets a little smile as uh, the announcement of uh, Robbie Ashford's commitment comes through. And, and yesterday, you know, we get there for that ten forty five a.m. press conference. They hadn't signed anybody yet. They didn't during the press conference. Jason Jones would end up signing about two hours later. But it was uh, it was just kind of a uh, you, you get there and we kind of uh, just talk to Chris Ball for about twenty minutes about. Uh, about nothing. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't about nothing. It wasn't about nothing, but it just, it just, uh, that, that's what's happened with this early signing day is, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, so some teams do a lot of their work in the December period and it just kind of, yesterday was just supposed to be kind of a cherry on top of it sort of day. Now they weren't expecting anyone else. Were they, were they, they were they trying no, to flip a few people? Cause there were, there were, I mean, no, there, other, there were no commits. The, Right. I mean, there there was a couple things that they were, you know, trying to get in on. But I mean, Jones was Jones, who's a just monster sized defensive tackle who had been uh, uh, previously committed to Alabama. That was kind of like the main piece they were going after. I mean, coming out of December, they had talked about potentially wanting to add like a tight end. Um, but they actually announced yesterday that DJ Johnson, former defensive end, is going to be, excuse me, switching over to the tight end. So at least that adds some depth to that room, you know, remains to be seen what he can do with his hands. And, uh, you know, we have seen him move and he's, he's a big boy moving pretty quick. So if, if he can catch and block, he, he could be pretty good, but yeah, I mean, yet I don't think, I don't think them only adding one guy yesterday was, was anything that was totally unexpected. Right. Well, so basically we already knew what the class looked like. They added one guy. <clears throat> That's it. Yeah. Yawn. And Yawn. I, I want to see, can we, can we get a trade deadline move or something or just kidding. It was, uh, um, it, 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 it's, it's fun. It's funny how quickly like the expectation can, or not, not even expectation, but just like the, the shock value of like, Oh my God, Oregon pulled in an amazing recruiting class can just get normalized. Cause this is, a, this is the third year in a row. They finished as of now, they're number 12 in the national rankings, number one in the pac 12. And, uh, it just kind of felt anticlimactic only because I think last year, what were they like number seven? Um, I think right. this is the 
two in all three years, it's it's been a a a, te- a teens or better uh, recruiting class. But um, you know, I, I nothing's really changed from I think what we said in December. That's is this is a good class. They they addressed the needs they needed to, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I obviously uh, being able to pull uh, Jones from Alabama um, is is a big pull for them, and there will be a real big body to uh, kind of fill in uh, on the line maybe after uh, Jordan Scott uh, leaves after uh, this season. The whole ranking thing is always funny to me. I, I think it's it's always important. I've written a couple times about how I looked back at the last X amount of national titles and all of them, all, national champions, and all of them had at least one top 10 class within the five years before winning it. And most of them had actually a top five class. But that's, of course, counting Bama, which won, has won how many national titles with Saban. So they factor into that as well. And they always have top five classes. So clearly history has shown that you have to have high-end classes to win it. Now, a couple of teams have come close, like Oregon. Oregon came close to winning it all with the best class being, I think, uh, 10 in 2007, which sort of made up the bulk of the 2010 starters. Um, but, you know, they didn't win it, obviously. So racking up these types of classes are definitely important because some of these guys are going to miss. Like everyone gets so excited, but we all know a lot of these guys are going to miss. They can't all be starters. Math dictates that. They can't all be stars. Math dictates that. Because if you sign a hundred guys in four years, they can't all be starters or all be stars. But the more high end guys you have, the more room you have for misses. And that's what they're doing. They're accumulating a ton of four star guys. And then you just had three, five star guys in this class, which has never happened in Oregon before based on 24-7. So if you accumulate that many cats, some of them are, a bunch of them are going to hit at some point. And so it'll be interesting to see how all these guys develop as we move down the line. It, it's, it's funny. So our, our Max Olson, uh, uh, our national uh, college football writer, he did a, every year he does like a four-year look back at um, a kind of like a re-ranking of a recruiting class. And so this year is it was looking back at and re-ranking the 2016 recruiting classes, which was uh, Mark Helfrich's last one at Oregon. And uh, I think the Ducks last finished 20. 20- huh? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Last full one. Sorry. Um, and uh, in, in the like two, four, seven composite rankings, I think Oregon was 27th that year. Right. And actually based upon Max's re-rankings, the Ducks finished worse. Um, he kind of adds a, uh, grades players from like one to five based on what they did but it's a comp that was a complicated class for Oregon because they missed on a lot of guys a lot of guys the the the, the bulk of that class ended up not doing a whole lot but the guys they hit on they really hit I mean that was Justin Herbert that was Troy Dye Dylan Mitchell um Brady Breeze who was evolving into a player now Lamar Winston played you know a solid four four years for them so it's uh it it certainly helps to hit on a lot of those guys but if you're going to miss on them you got to at least have a couple guys pop up and I I do think that's why um you know outside of that one four and eight year you didn't really see the Ducks falter that much because they they hit on a lot of those dudes and I I do think that like that Helfrich staff does get criticized a lot for the recruiting stuff but that was a Turns out that ended up being a pretty darn good class that was pretty pivotal in the season. Now, this this new class and, and the ones that they've built the last three years, it, give, it just gives them more opportunities to do that sort of thing because they just have a lot of talent there that that's expected to hit. It, it's you know it, it wouldn't be a, a, sh- a shock if, if a Jay Butterfield turns into a good quarterback, whereas Justin Herbert kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, and also you look at the two. I, I, I've always been intrigued by the 2015 class, because that class was ranked 16th. So we talked again about recruiting. You're talking about a 16th rated class for that staff. 
and then they fell to 27th the next year, and Oregon just landed a, a 12th rated class. But that 2015 class, like, it had so much promise on paper, but the high end group of that class just did not produce anything. Canton Kamatule injuries destroyed his career. Um, Taj Griffin was nice role player. Uh, Travis Johnson ended up being a great mon- receiver at Montana. Well, he was recruited to be a quarterback at Oregon. <laughs> Alex Afadale didn't work out. Uh, Malik Lavette, I remember he was a, much made about him. Uh, Kirk Merritt ended up transferring. He was supposed to be a big deal. Zach O'Coon was okay. Amadi was really probably the gem, right. gem of that class in terms of the high-end kids. But what that class did produce in terms of the three-star kids – when the four-star kids didn't really pan out. Exactly, dude. That offensive line that everyone obviously was raving about the last few years, Throckmorton, Lemieux, uh, um, Hanson, Aiello even was in there who who didn't become a starter late in his career. Then you had Breland come about. So that class was a class that you had some under-the-radar guys who really became big-time players. So, you know, it's one of those things where you can get all excited about the four-star kids, and I think you should because you're accumulating a bunch of guys who you hope hit. But at the same time, you know there's going to be some misses. We're going to look back at this class in four years and go, whatever happened to that guy? But you hope that you're looking back at at least a 30 of these guys and going, oh, yeah, that guy became a baller. Because if you get that many kids each class, you have yourself a damn good team. So right right after the signing day press conference, um, Joe Moorhead had his first uh, first little go around with the media. Um, Oregon's new offensive coordinator, former Mississippi State head coach. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to write something on him probably next week. Uh, kind of diving more into like his history and, and, and what he wants to do here at Oregon. But that guy just seemed relaxed. Like, like he, 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 I think he knows he's really good at, at what he's going to do. It seems like Chris ball is going to give him complete control of the offense. You know, I, I asked him if uh, you know, about his like relationship with Jim Mastro and, and whether or not they're going to keep, keep the pistol offense going. And he's like, you know what, we're, we just got done recruiting. We're, we're starting to have those meetings now, but we're, we're going to figure out what works best for what I want to do. And uh, I don't know. It, it seems like a guy that definitely has a plan. And and when Chris ball was talking about Moorhead, um, you know, that all happened so quickly because the, the ducks win the Rose bowl on January 1st, they know that Arroyo has gone. And I believe Moorhead was fired. Was it just like a day or two after that? And so I like, automatically that guy becomes a top candidate. And so Chris ball's like, I knew this was the guy that I needed to talk to. We, we moved quickly. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll see what happens, but right now they're, they're very happy with what they got, uh, with him. And they should be, I mean, the guy, you're getting a guy who's proven at a high level, you know, for a, t- a top five Penn state team for a couple years. Um, yes, things didn't work out in Mississippi state, but you know, that's a tough place to win in that division, in that conference. Uh, they didn't give him much time to really do his thing, which I think is just, I just can't stand that. Like a coach to me needs, needs four years, I think to really put in their, what they want to do and, and build their program the way they want to build it. But say la vie, that's over and done with. But if you can go out, <laughs> you can go out and get a guy who w- was a head coach in a major conference and had success at some point at whatever he did, offense or defensive coordinator prior to that. And he's available He's not getting another head coaching job or at least didn't get one to his liking and you can go get him. That's just awesome. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. There's no doubt the offense is going to be in good hands regardless of what people think about halftime at Ohio State. But or against Ohio State, when I think people will melt down on Twitter against him because they'll probably struggle a little bit with the new quarterback. But here's the thing, though. If he succeeds, he's probably out the door in a couple of years. But you, right. But that's fine if you're Oregon because then you just go out and get someone else. Because you just—it doesn't matter if a guy stays forever. It matters that you have good guys in place. 
What one thing that I asked Cristobal because this, this is the second year in a row that they've done a coordinator search, and um, I, I I just and I didn't quite get a, a straight answer because he always leans on the uh, this is Oregon, like we're going to be able to get in whatever doors we want, but. I just wanted to know, like, how much more cachet he had in this coaching search than he did a year ago when he was able to hire Andy Avalos. But, like, at that point, he was coming off of, what was it, like a 9-4 and four, or 8-4 and four season. Like, it kind of established himself as, like, okay, this guy can run a program, but is he quite, like, elite level versus, like, this year where they're coming off of a, a you know, Pac-12 championship, a Rose Bowl. Like, a, you know, I think it's it's – uh, pretty established now that that Chris Ball is a legit coaching commodity. I, I I was just curious about like, you know, you think they would have been able to pull a Moorhead a year ago? Like, do you think Oregon still like had that cachet, or do you think there was still a little bit of like a holding process to see like how that how that happened? Uh, I think that's an interesting and legitimate question. Um, which which to be yeah, let, let me let me backtrack just for a second. Like Chris Ball, like then was just like you said. Obviously, it helps that you know we played a game on TV in front of fifteen million people and, and won. And then you know obviously right. the timing works out <laughs> with with Moorhead. But uh, yeah, I, you know I'm just I'm just fascinated because Oregon Oregon is a big name, but it's out on the West Coast. Pac twelve doesn't have the best rep right now. It's not quite you know I don't think Oregon necessarily has the the cachet that it maybe had like ten years ago, but. You know, it's it's still you, there's still a lot of real beneficial things with Nike and the facilities and all that. But yeah, I was I was just curious about that. Yeah, well, I, I would think if, if you're if you're a guy like him who just lost a head coaching job and you're trying to rebuild yourself, you're going to look around for a place where a you can do your thing. You're going to call plays. You can reestablish yourself as a potential head coach somewhere. And you want to make sure you go somewhere where you're not rebuilding something. You want to win. You want to see talent on the roster. You want to see players you think you can you can score points with and you're going to win with so that you can give yourself a better chance to move along. So clearly he looked at this job. Now, we don't know what other job offers he had. He might, Maybe it was between Oregon and, you know, two other schools that would never match up to Oregon. So we took Oregon. But if Oregon is in the competition for, for him, his services with other programs, clearly he felt – that this roster and working with Mario was going to help his career. And that's a right. good sign. And whether that's because they won the Rose Bowl, whether they won the Pac-12 or whatever, the bottom line is he clearly believes he can come here and do some nice things to help give himself a chance to be a head coach again. I mean, and, and overall, like, Oregon has a pretty damn good staff now. I mean, Chris Ball's established as head coach. Avalos did what he did last year, and now you got Moorhead. And then, you know, you have a guy like – and I wrote about him yesterday – uh, Dante Williams, who was the the number one recruiter in the Pac-12 this year, number seven nationally, he was key in bringing in guys like Justin Flo, um, uh, uh, Luke Hill. Uh, last year was Mike Hill, right? I mean, this, this is a, this is a staff that I I think has a good mix of guys that are really elite on the recruiting field, and now um, with the two coordinators, two guys that uh, um, should be really good within the season. I mean, it's it's it, it, I, I'm pretty optimistic about this coming year. Obviously. It's, it depends on what happens at the quarterback position, but coaching wise, I, th- I think they're in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have ever thought otherwise. <laughs> I think you know, to me, they you, should, are you should have just came out and been like, "Nah, man, like this is." <laughs> we need to sound the alarms here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I figured they'd go out and get a good coordinator. I mean, that's did no did you did you think. Did did you think when they fired Helfrich in 2016 and they went four and eight and USC was looking good and Washington was on the come up? Like, did you think that what is it four years later now? Like they'd be in this position 
Like I, I thought that was going to set them back. You know, whether they hired a good coach or not out of the gates, I just thought that I, I think they've been helped a lot by USC completely cratering. But uh, I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're back to a spot now where you're talking about a good signing class and they'll probably have Rose Bowl expectations again this year. Yada, 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 yada. The reaction, to, <laughs> the reaction to the 2016 season was completely overblown. And I, and I say that from a standpoint of someone who believed the end was coming anyway and, and spoke about it for years and was ripped to shreds for it. In 2014, I was like mocking the recruiting class saying, this is a joke. How are you ranked in the 20s for the second year in a row after all the success you've had? This is not going to work. And I got bashed and smashed for that. Um, and so I, I was saying, you know, Mario to leaves, the window's closed and there's going to be a downturn. And I got smashed for that. So when it happened, I wasn't shocked by it. But I believed... I believe it was going to tick back up immediately. And I wrote about this and I talked about it on Talking Ducks. They were going to win eight games next year and they have a chance to win 10 or more the next two years because they had the freaking quarterback. <laughs> like, if you got, like, if you have a quarterback who's going to be a first round pick, unless you're surrounding him with the cast of little giants, you're going to have a chance to contend in your conference. And there was talent there. There was Die, there was Hollins, it was. Jelks and Amadi, like there was no reason why they weren't going to tick back up. And then with that old line on top of it. So for me, the winning they've done, you know, I'm, I'm not shocked by it at all. Now, recruiting wise, they've done a great job. There's been some talk about, oh, Helfrich and the staff would have never done this. Helfrich and staff had classes like this in the past, but they definitely ticked downward. So you have to give them credit for what they've done recruiting-wise. They've been more aggressive. They've been more innovative in that area, and we'll see how that pans out. But no, I'm not – I mean, I guess I'm one of the few people who just believe this was going to happen because of that kid at, at center, under center. Or I guess not under center. Behind yeah. center. <laughs> yeah. So, But that's, now but, – but, but this is the other side. One more thing real quick. But now, now we're through <laughs> that, though. So now most of those guys are gone. There's still obviously the kids from the 2017 class that Hellfresh and Staff had recruited that are still around, like Red and Johnson and Pickett, Breeze, et cetera, et cetera, was a previous class. But So now, we're, though, we got to rebuild that part of it, that mechanism, that O-line and that quarterback. Because if that is average, if those two things are average – Nothing else is really going to matter. Everything else will keep you at seven wins or eight wins, but you're not going to contend for the conference if those two entities are not where they need to be. All right, so let's let's change gears to next time Dylan Brooks is in town, he's paying, right? <laughs> so uh, former Oregon basketball player. <laughs> yeah, uh, former Oregon basketball player Dylan Brooks uh, got himself in the news this week, and it was kind of a fun story because – uh, the young Memphis Grizzlies are playing pretty good hoop right now. Him and him, him and John ja Morant. Um, I, I think they were fourteen and five over the, their last few games. And, and Brooks uh, got his name into the news by kind of calling out Andre Iguodala. I mean, at first, I, I, there, there was a little selective editing in what quote they used because he went on to or bef- before he said, uh, you know, I can't wait till this guy's on another team so we can play him. He's like, you know, this guy's a good player and he's probably doing what he's what's best for him, but. Um, anyway, so they end up shipping Iguodala out. Brooks gets a three, a three year, $35 million contract extension. Um, I talked to a whole bunch of Brooks's old teammates, uh, for a story yesterday or two days ago. And everyone was just like, yep, that's, that's Dylan for you. He's, he's a guy who's not afraid to speak his mind, even if it kind of gets him in trouble at some point. Uh, right now it looks like it kind of got him paid. And a lot of people around the Memphis area have, have kind of, uh, uh attached themselves to him over the last week with that young core. But, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting a, a trading deadline week to uh, be so Dylan Brooks heavy this week. <laughs> I have a personal affinity for Dylan Brooks because 
for two years, I was saying that guy is going to play in the NBA. And the three former Oregon Duck players I did a show with, Jordan Kent, Orlando Williams, and Richard Lucas, all thought I was crazy. Three former Ducks, they thought I was crazy. Dylan Brooks is not an NBA player. I'm like, y'all crazy. I, I called him a poor man's Grant Hill. He can do everything. He's going to play in the NBA. And they thought I was nuts. So every time he succeeds, I'm like, yeah, take that, you former Duck basketball haters. But, uh, <laughs> but no, he's, he's a baller, man. And, and that toughness, that, that, um, that fire he has, that I don't give a F attitude he has, that was the, one of the central things with that Final Four team. He was that Dude, guy. That's that. That's in my mind in in the NBA. What's like separated him? And granted, they're two completely different players, but that's what separated like him from Jordan Bell because Jordan Bell like has had so much talent at, at what he did and, and kind of rode that hot streak of the Final Four uh, into like that Warriors career and he, and he won a ring. Uh, as a part of that roster, but you know, he's kind of bounced around now. And like, I always thought that Dylan, I always thought that Dylan was going to have like at least a 10 year NBA career. I didn't know if he was going to be like, you know, all that great, but just like that dude's determination and the, how hard he works and, and the, like, like you said, like the, the don't give a rip attitude. I just thought that that was going to play well. And, and that was going to really attach to a team or a city. And uh, you know, you're, you're, I mean, he's putting up good numbers right now, man, especially Shoot, for missing all last season. Three, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a legit player. Now, I don't know if he's going to ever be a star star, but he clearly is a guy who can, I mean, he gives you a little bit of everything and does it all well. Um, and so it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch him succeed. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of look at from a point guard standpoint at Peyton Pritchard being that kind of guy too. Like, the heart, the determination, right. um, the guy who can do everything well. Um, he does have some, you know, deficiencies that are going to hurt him and keep him from being a star in the NBA, but he's going to make a team. He's probably going to play. He's probably going to play well for somebody. Um, so, yeah, and th- those two guys were huge in that Final Four team, and and uh, we'll see if they can get back there with, with Peyton and the cast they have this year. Where's uh, Dor- Dorsey's playing overseas now, right? Yeah, man, Dorsey yeah, looked like he, he was flashing some potential at Atlanta. Then he ended up in Memphis for a minute, I think, with Dylan. And then uh, he ended up overseas. So, you know, he... They didn't actually play together, though, because because Dylan was hurt, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know if they actually, I don't know if they actually played any game right, together. Anyways. And I don't think he was there that long. But D- Dorsey's thing was... Dor- if Dorsey's hot, he can hurt you shooting. But he didn't do... He didn't bring much else. He wasn't... A great defender. He wasn't necessarily a great ball handler, so he wasn't going to play the point. You know, so he's sort of a one-trick pony, and that one trick is inconsistent. So, his well, and, and that's and like to be fair, that's 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 what he was like at Oregon. I mean, I think people <laughs> exactly. remember people remember that that uh, that march he had, which give him every ounce of credit for that because that was one of the best stretches of basketball I've seen anybody like, get on for for a freaking entire month. But prior to that, he'd be a guy who could go off for 30 one night and then maybe take two shots the next night. He, he was very inconsistent. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm by no means am I somebody that's like, oh, he could have used another year in college or whatnot. Like, I don't know how that would have affected him later on. But, um, yeah, I mean, out of, out of those three guys, uh, it, it's not a huge surprise to me that, that Brooks is doing the best. And you do, I, I, you do have to throw in Boucher, too. He's been getting minutes up in, yeah. in Toronto. He and and a lot of those guys that like you know end up get signing like those two way contracts like when they're when they're young you kind of think that like ah eh, you know we'll probably not hear from this guy uh, again after this and he's 
Boucher's really ingrained himself up there. Yeah. Have you watched highlights of him? He's still so skinny. Dude, like it's he's, it, so, he's so athletic though, and he can I, shoot. I remember, I remember like the first time uh, seeing him play uh, when he. So it was it was uh, Boucher, or sorry, it was Brooks and Bell's sophomore year, and they get Boucher out there, and this guy's just running the floor, and he'd go up for these swats at like full speed and come down like I, I, I had to like look away each time because like those his legs are like pencil thin, man. <laughs> like I was like, I do not want to see a broken leg. I do not want to see a broken leg, and. uh Man, like he, he, he just he thought just he was looks, gonna snap like a twig. Yeah, man. And but <laughs> man, he was he was a fun player to watch. It when him when him and Bell were both on, it was it was pretty fun watching guys have to try to drive in on those guys because they right. they would just yeah. That that was a, that was a fun period of Oregon basketball. Which by the way, the women keep winning, man. Yeah. So okay. So what do we make of this? They just waxed UConn, and this isn't clearly the you, UConn of old okay. necessarily. I right? hate, I hate that thing right there. The, because no, okay, so so if 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 Oregon loses the UConn, it's like oh they you know if they lost at UConn, no one can win there. But then if they win, it's like well this isn't the same UConn. I mean like no matter if it was the like if yeah like so was Oregon supposed to lose because if calm the down, only way that the, the only way it's the same Relax. UConn team is if Oregon Relax. loses, right? Relax, relax. It's, it's gonna be okay, Tyson. Sorry, I, sorry. I woke up with a little bit of Fentress in me today. You know, woo, fired up. Yeah, I'm getting all. Um, no, I okay, listen. You're a hundred percent correct. You're a hundred percent correct. I hate that too. However, I think when you're it's looking, it's not the same UConn team. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying I think when you're looking forward as to what it means, you know, did they like because UConn was like unbeatable. How many national titles they win? Like college basketball, women's college basketball to me was just ridiculous because UConn was just winning it every damn year. How many did they win in a row? Do you remember? Enough. A lot. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they didn't beat those teams is what I'm saying. So that doesn't mean that it wasn't a big win because it because what it means is that if you're better than UConn and UConn's not going to be able to smash you in the, in the playoffs like they do almost every year, then that means you have a better chance of winning it all. So regardless of whether, I mean, just because Oregon is not as great as some of the past UConn teams doesn't diminish the fact that this means that UConn is not where they've been in the past where they were unbeatable, which clears the path a little bit better for the Ducks to win it all. So and, regardless, it's a great moment. And and like, Oregon's been just came off a pretty incredible stretch of games where they played Oregon State twice, they played Stanford. These are all top 10 games. They have to fly out all the way to the East Coast for a month. It was a Monday game, right? Yeah, a, a Monday game, like in the middle of the conference season. Like they got to come back here and play conference games. Uh, you know, whether or not that's the best UConn team that's ever been assembled, it's still a very tough college basketball game. It's, it's this wasn't a trash yes, trash top UConn five, team by top five team. It, exactly. And the one thing, the one thing before this big stretch of games that Oregon didn't have on its resume. Uh, you know, towards the kind of middle part of, of January was like, OK, they've been just spanking uh, uh, lower level teams, but they didn't have a top 10 win. And so they come out and they route Stanford. They they take care. They sweep Oregon State. And now they do this to UConn. Uh, I think it's completely fair to think that this team is a final four at bare minimum right now. And obviously you have to win the games, but they're really good. They're they're really good. And they're playing they're playing good basketball right now. Absolutely. And. 
And they smoked. Okay, so UConn had one of the loss, and that was to Baylor, another top five program. And that was also kind of a beat down. So clearly UConn's not the same, which is good. Because my, my whole fear for Oregon in the last couple of years was coming up against that program that's unbeatable. You know, and they, I expect them to make the Final Four last year. I expect them to make the championship game this year and have, and have a chance to win it. Um, if they don't, it's going to be a disappointment. There's just no way around that. And the way they dismantled UConn with Sabrina only scoring 10 points, but almost having a triple-double because she was just dissecting them with her nine assists and setting up uh, Ruthie, Ruthie and yeah. Sabali, who had combined for 30. Is it Sabali? Sorry. How you, is that yeah. how you pronounce it? Yeah. 39 points combined. Dude, she, so the, she's she's legit. <laughs> oh, she's, she's money. I, I When I watched her last year in Portland, I was like, Oh my God! Like she's so athletic and so versatile. Um, it's funny because uh, our boy Kanzano, I think, referred to her as kind of a Pippin. Said some Pippin, and that's what I thought about her when I saw her. Uh, was it, it was last year, right? Yeah, last year. Um, I thought, my God, she's like she's like a woman, Scotty Pippin. Um, but anyway, I expect them to be in the championship game, and then we'll see who they face. And it doesn't look like there's a team in the country right now where you're like that team's unbeatable. Therefore, Oregon has a beautiful chance at winning this whole thing. And I want to see them win it so badly. And when you can beat UConn like that, like Sabrina's well, chilling got- for 10. Sabrina's chilling for 10. It's one thing if Sabrina goes off for 38 and goes, you know, 15 of 19 from the field, some fluke game. Sabrina, your best player, maybe the best player in the country, had 10 points and you waxed UConn. That's huge. What you got going this weekend? I don't know. What's what's the, the what's going on? Football's, it's football's kind of, done, it's kind of, man. It's kind of quiet, man. It's uh no, What'd you make of the two ducks in the Super Bowl? Um, I, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a good game, right? Buckner had a sack, right? Or half sack, I think. I can't remember what stats he had. They, they were active. They were getting after that four man pass rush with those two in it. Had a chance to beat them, man. If you can rush Mahomes with four and cover with seven, you have a chance. They were a big part of that. Uh, the offense just couldn't close at the end. That was, that was tough to see if you're a 49er fan. But Dude, uh, I, I, I just love well. that, uh, so the 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 big bomb Mahomes connected with uh, was it was Tyreek right? Um, did did you see the, how yeah, far of a deep how far of a drop he took? He so he took it at a shotgun and then took about like ten more steps back just to like give Hill time to just bomb downfield. Yeah, he it, ran like it, the it, deepest post corner ever. It it looked like a Madden play. Like it, it looked like a Madden play. You 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 take it out of shotgun and just hold backwards on the trigger until your guy gets open. <laughs> exactly, and he was freaking wide open. Um, so yeah, it's good to see those guys play well. I want, you know, I was torn. I wanted Andy Reid to win one, but I would like those two guys to win one. I thought that'd have been cool just to see Ducks win the Super Bowl. Um, oh, one thing I'm, I think it's being published today that I, I love me some lists. So <laughs> I did another list story coming off my last week's ridiculously long list story. So listen to this. So Oregon obviously is killing it in recruiting right now. Um, but I went back. And I looked at the number of two-star recruits Oregon used to sign back when they were still sort of rebuilt. They were still building the brand. They were making inroads nationally with some of the high-end prospects. Because I remember when I was covering them in 0405, and I'd check rivals, and I'd see they'd be medium on some guy from Texas or Florida or somewhere in terms of interest level. And that kid would always never that they'd never come to Oregon. But the fact that Oregon was on that list was different than the previous decade. Like they were they were becoming more of a national brand with the Harrington thing, et cetera, et cetera. And so listen to this. So they've signed 
excuse me, from 2002 through 2010, Oregon signed 54 uh, four-star, excuse me, two-star kids. A month, and then in classes that were three star heavy, and there were a couple classes in there that had a lot of four star kids that, that boosted up their classes, the class rankings like the 07 class and the 04 class. Um, then in 2011, they had zero for the first time um, in the history of rivals rankings, or whatever. They had zero two star in 2011, which we all know was the year after that was a signing day after they went to the national championship game. Since then, they've only had 12 two star kids they've signed. Which just shows the huge shift from where they were, damn, pre that pre that era to to this era when recruiting has taken off the last several years. Even even in the lean years when they had a couple of bad years, especially on defense recruiting, which led to the debacle on defense we saw in fifteen sixteen. Even those years, they weren't getting a ton of two star kids. They obviously, obviously they were three star heavy. So it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic. And then I went back. So I went back and I said, well, since I'm talking about this, I'm going to look at the top 10 two-star kids ever in that run. And all of them are from pre-2011 because they were relying on those guys. And that was a time when the coaching staff had to be very deft in who they were looking at because they still couldn't compete with SC for the five and fours and, of course, the SEC or what have you. So they had to be very, very meticulous in how they – scouted guys so when you found an anthony trucks when you found a, a jarris bird or a, or a um, patrick chung those are two-star guys who were two of the best safeties air organs ever had and were second round picks in the, in the nfl they had to be really good at doing that whereas now you don't have to do that anymore but you better be damn sure you hit on the high end if you're loading up on these four-star kids. So it was kind of interesting to go back and look at those because I kind of remember those recruiting days and I remember Bilotti selling some of these two-star two two kids. And here's the other thing about this, last thing I'll say, is that the trick when you're getting into two-star two and three-star kids, if you can redshirt those guys and develop them, if you can identify a guy who maybe wasn't a three or four because they weren't big enough for their position, like take an Anthony Trucks. You know, he came to Oregon as a 196-pound safety, and they turned him into a 230-pound line or 225-pound linebacker. They redshirted him, though, and they beefed him up. And all of a sudden, you got a kid who was a two-star kid, but because you developed him and put some weight on him, boom, you got yourself a four-star talent. And they did that in other, in other places as well. Sometimes they switch people's positions to get the max out of them. So it's just fascinating to see how much recruiting has changed in that regard. When's that story coming out? Uh, it should be today. Okay, cool. So uh, we'll have that up today. Um, I have a mailbag coming tomorrow. I, I think it's a, a fun one. You guys did a good job with your questions this week. So A plus effort. And uh, um, on Monday, I have a story about just how uh, local kids here in the Portland, Oregon area um, are able to uh, kind of get get the attention of uh, the, the in-state schools like Oregon and Oregon State. I talked to Demir Collins. Uh, uh, he's the top rated running back in the state. Um, so yeah, that, that will be coming on Monday on the athletic. Um, if, if you're listening to this and you're not a, a subscriber, you can check us out at theathletic.com. Um, uh, can get a seven day free trial slash free trial. And, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you there. Um, that's all I got, man. That's all. That's all I got. That's all there is then. That's all there is. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> th thanks for joining everybody. We'll be back, uh, um, with another episode at some point. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> th th thanks for listening.